Hello and welcome to the show formerly known as the Health and Wellness Show. Uh, since we moved on to the YouTube video format, we have decided to upgrade and change our name to Objective Health. So we'd like to issue a formal welcome to Objective Health. My name is Tiffany. I'm your host today, and joining me is Erica, Doug, and Elliot. Hello. 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 Okay, so our topic today is abortion. Difficult topic, so mm. let's talk about it. So abortion has been in the news recently. I mean, it's always in the news during an election season. I think that is a kind of a litmus test to tell if someone is liberal enough or not, if they're pro-choice. So it always comes up during those times. But it's been in the news recently because New York has now passed a law making it legal for women to have abortions right up to giving birth. And Virginia also has some legislation pending, allowing the same thing. So it's been in the news lately, so we decided to do a show about it. So we're going to talk about the new law, uh, abortion in general, some history of Planned Parenthood, and we'll get to something completely outrageous toward the end of the show. I don't know if I should give it away now, but it's shocking. So... Yeah, let's start with talking about New York and the the new law that was put into place there. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of crazy to say the least. I mean, it's it's like I don't know. Like for me personally, like I I used to consider myself quite liberal, or at least liberal. I'd always leaned liberal before, um, leaned left. And, you know, I never really gave a lot of consideration to the whole abortion topic. It was kind of like, of course, I'm pro-choice. It, <clears throat> it makes sense that, you know, people can make those own decisions, their own decisions on that. But it wasn't until things started getting kind of pushed further, or more recently anyway, that I really started thinking about it more and kind of being like, you know, I'm not really that cool with it. Um, you know, it, I do waver on the whole thing. Like, I think that obviously when there's a um, a medical reason for it, then yes, of course, I think that, that 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 should happen. When you start getting into the weird things like the borderline eugenics kind of stuff, like the baby doesn't really, <clears throat> you know, might have, have some kind of condition where it's not one where they would really be suffering that much or, you know, it's, it's a more gray area for me, I guess is what I would say. But then for New York to come along and say, oh yeah, right up until birth, it's fine. You know, you can, you can abort a baby at nine months. It's just like, whoa, wait a minute. I don't know if this is a gray area anymore. Like this is really, um, this is quite shocking to me actually that anybody would even want this. Um, and I, I can't think of a reason why somebody would, I mean, maybe there are reasons why, I don't know. Are that, That's a good question. Maybe are there reasons why anyone would, um, not be able to abort within the first three months, but would need to at nine months. It just seems kind of crazy well, to me. 
Yes, I think one of the rationalizations that I heard is that maybe there's some new circumstances, some new life circumstance in the woman's life that would cause her to want to abort at such a late stage. And no matter what those circumstances are, it's still her choice to be able to do that. Mm. But my thing is that where is the Roe in this case, as in Roe versus Wade? Like in 1973, there was a Roe versus Wade that made abortion legal. And this woman, Roe, which wasn't really her real name, and she didn't actually end up having an abortion. She actually had the baby. But in this case, who is demanding that a woman be allowed to abort her baby in the third trimester? Are there people out there protesting, like in front of City Hall, that they want to be able to abort their babies on the delivery table. I mean, I don't see where the demand is. This seems like it's a, a top-down thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that's a good point. I've never heard of that before. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, I don't think I've heard very much of any, anyone actually demanding that the, the limitations on it be extended. You know, it's kind of like pro-choice was always kind of the thing like – it's it's like you know are are you allowed to abort uh, a fetus, and it's kind of like that. It was well established that it was like you could do that up until like three months or something like that, and I think in some circumstances it was up to six months, but it was like I, I don't remember anyone ever saying that's not long enough. We need yeah. to have we need to have it right up until birth, and it, it, I I don't know I I'd never encountered it before. Yeah. Although there's lots of holes in the argument and it's a really gray area like for instance being able to determine when a fetus feels pain being able to determine when a fetus sort of crosses from being non-alive toward (laughs) being a living being like that's that's almost impossible in and of itself but to some extent at, at 12 weeks i could somewhat understand the concept that a fetus may not necessarily be as aware as a fully grown human being or a a child and therefore the rationalization or the justification to be able to abort a fetus at 12 weeks although I don't necessarily agree with that I can somewhat understand it Mm. But when you get to the point where it's in the third trimester, basically up until birth, this I can't get my head around because if a mother had a child and she took the child home and it was a perfectly healthy baby and then you found out a couple of days later that the parents had actually killed the child, those parents would go to jail. Mm -hmm. They would be... they would be tried for murder because that's what that is Mm -hmm. the killing of a baby um so i don't see how this differs in any way if if you're going to abort like basically perform an abortion on a child who's basically a fetus that's nine months gone Mm. then what you're doing what you're doing is essentially you are killing the baby um so how how is this legal for one Where, where and who is who who is protesting as as has been said who is asking for this who wants babies to be killed at nine months yeah well i think that uh 
people who are behind it may not know the extent of it. So like Doug was saying earlier, I would definitely consider myself pro-choice. I do have two children. So I was given the option of abortion, of course. I chose not to do that. But for the most part, for the last 20 years, I've held the belief that it's a woman's body, it's a woman's right to choose. And even the first trimester, because a lot of times women have miscarriages or issues arise. And as you're saying, with a medical, serious medical condition, then I think it's not so controversial Hmm. because, um, you know, any a number of things can happen. And it's also contraindicated for a lot of things that pregnant women don't do things in the first 12 weeks, 13 weeks because of that. So I think that that's what people think when they say I'm pro-choice. They, they don't consider for a moment that after 12 weeks, these things are happening. Does that make sense? Like, I think people are so strongly held in that belief. And I know I was for a long time, you know, that after 12 weeks, you know, then you have a viable fetus. It has a heartbeat. That's usually when they start to test for a heartbeat and whatnot. I'm wondering if people are just so enamored with this choice idea that they don't follow through on the laws that are coming out. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think that that's, that's, you know, the, the debate about it, if it is even even a debate, it's more like just shouting back and forth. But it it seems like it's it's been skewed by the left to be all about the women's rights and you know it's her body, it's her choice, all those sorts of things. And I think that by framing the debate in that way, it's it's very easy to kind of push forward that pro-choice idea, and that everybody kind of gets on board with that. Was like. Well, whose choice is it? Is it the government's choice? Of course not. Government government has to keep their hands off my body. It's like, well, yeah, of course. But mm-hmm. if you if you don't frame it in that way and you kind of say, well, like, you know, this is a life here. You know, your rights obviously are an issue, but it's also, you know, the the right not even the rights, but it's kind of like the responsibility. Yeah. You know, you have a, a life growing inside of you. And you have a responsibility to that. So I think by framing the debate in, in the way that it's been framed, it's kind of, it skews things in that direction where it's kind of like, does the government have a right to tell you what to do with your body? No. Yeah. And I think that's where people stop thinking about it. Yeah. They're so hung up on not being controlled and this man can't tell me what to do with my, my body and my baby and my choice and all that they actually forget the whole fact that there is a life growing inside of you. And you can debate until the cows come home, like when does life begin? Does it begin at conception or does it begin when the baby first has a heartbeat or when their brain is fully formed or whatever? It's still a life or a potential life. And there's still some value to that. And people don't even consider that. Like for myself, I would say that maybe at, One time I was more pro-choice, but that was more for other people, for myself. I don't think I ever could have made the decision to have had an abortion. Right. But I was more lenient when it came to other people, especially if it was done early and not early enough in the pregnancy, like Elliot said before. I mean, it's 
kind of, I wouldn't even say it's a gray area because right now I would say no abortion ever, period. For anyone, in any, well, under any circumstance? Well, I can't tell anybody what to do, but that is my right. feeling, yes. Um, no abortion, even in the first trimester, because people say, well, it's not fully formed yet. It's just a clump of cells. Yeah. Uh, I, I just don't feel right about that at all. Yeah. It's kind of, it, it, it's like you guys have kind of brought up about the whole thing, like the debate about, well, where does life actually begin and at what point? And I, I personally think that that's a relatively arbitrary distinction. It's like there aren't significant differences at three weeks and three weeks in a day or, you know, whatever it was, 12 weeks, 12 weeks in a day. Like the, it, there, there's no clear line where it's kind of like, okay, there, it, this is, is a life. And before that is just a clump of cells. Like that just doesn't, doesn't make any sense to me. I think mm-hmm. that really you can't look at it any other way than to say that a life is beginning at conception. Now that to me doesn't necessarily mean that abortion is out entirely. But I think that you can't you can't smooth over the whole thing by saying that it's not a life yet, because mm-hmm. that's just not the case. It is a life, you know. At, at conception, it's a life. So we can say that you know um, there are circumstances in which it is okay to end a life. And I mean, I, I think that that could be argued. I, I think there are probably a, um, a number of different situations where you could argue that yes, there are circumstances in which it is necessary or the best course of action to end a life. Mm-hmm. But I don't think we should sugarcoat it by saying it's not a life yet because yeah. I think it is a life. And there's great responsibility in accepting that you are carrying a life and that that should be primary in most people's minds. Like, what is my responsibility? I know it might be wishful thinking, but hoping that the vast majority of people on this earth realize the great responsibility that comes with not just being pregnant, but with sexual activity. Maybe that's too much to ask for a lot of people to feel that way, but it's something that should be taken very, very seriously. And it's just not, it's just, yeah, it's just treated as, I don't know, it's just part of a throwaway culture and not, not only do we throw away like electronics when we're done using it now, we think it's okay to just throw away living beings, babies, innocent babies. Like people make that argument, oh, how can you be pro-life but pro-capital punishment? I mean, there is a big difference between an innocent baby and someone who is a serial killer and presents a great harm to society. Mm-hmm. So, And if you look through the... Um various cases that have happened since Roe v. Wade in 1973. It's basically states battling for these rights. And some states are much more liberal as far as what they allow. Mm. Um, And obviously New York is one of those. I think that uh, a big hot button issue, especially for women, is like you guys were saying that U.S. out of my uterus, it's my body. What I'm noticing in these cases is that it's always about the mother, the mother's well-being, the mother's mental health, you know, and 
I have to say that my stance is really changing. I, for a long time, felt like the whole pro-life thing was a little out of bounds and kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. I'm changing my perspective on that after reading for this show because I see where they're coming from, that it's, it's, you know, like you were saying, three months in a day or nine months, there is a big difference there. And yes, but the bottom line is that this is a life and it is a responsibility. And if you were concerned about getting pregnant in the first place, you should have taken the actions to prevent that. And what seems to be happening, and maybe we'll get into this with the Planned Parenthood thing, is it's become a form of birth control. Mm-hmm. So do we actually want to get into some of the things that the New York law actually says? And then uh, perhaps we can play that clip. Mm-hmm. Do you have that? Let's see. Yeah, here we are. Actually, Damien, can you pull it up? Yeah. The one that shows the actual law? So it says that abortion, an abortion can be performed if the patient was is within 24 weeks from the commencement of pregnancy, or there's an absence of fetal viability, or the abortion is necessary to protect the patient's life or health, but they don't specify specific health reasons. And this is something that I was kind of thinking about. I did see a tweet, and I cannot remember where I saw it or who it was from, but it was from an OBGYN. And he said that there are actually not any uh, maternal health issues that could prevent a woman from giving birth. I'm not sure if this is exactly true, but they never do actually list certain health conditions that would cause a woman to die. I mean, women do die in childbirth, but... Yeah, there was that one incident in Ireland, too, that they... Because Ireland recently legalized abortion. And there was there was a lot of their, the campaign, the pro-campaign, was hinged on this woman who did die. And it was some kind of sepsis thing or something like that. Um, and she had asked for an abortion and had been refused. Mm-hmm. Um, and ended up dying from it. But yeah, no, I, I read the same tweet as you. And this was a guy who said he's performed like over 2000 abortions or something like that and said that he had, or no, no, sorry, 2000 births. Uh, yeah. And said that he had never, um, never come across an issue where the woman's life was in danger. Yeah, because people go, pregnant women go to great lengths to be able to carry a child to term or at least as, as long as they can. You know, there's bed rest, there's all kinds of medications, monitoring. They sometimes check themselves into the hospital and be on strict bed rest there so they can, you know, have the baby or carry it for as long as possible or till it can survive outside of the womb. So I think that might be a bit of a stretch. So when they say to protect the patient or the mother's life or health, uh, a lot of the time, I think they're referring to her emotional well-being, and that can be any number of things, whether having a baby can cause her emotional stress or financial stress or cause some kind of turbulence in her relationship, or if she's not in a relationship, that'll cause her even more stress. So it's very 
vague as to what they mean by that. Yeah, you can define that in practically any way that you want to. Mm-hmm. If if you know if you're seeking to justify um, doing this based on the grounds of health, but you're not specifying exactly what constitutes health, mm-hmm. then you could theoretically say anything. Anyone could make a make a good argument that that something could. I mean. Let's be honest, having a baby is always, it's going to cause problems in everyone's life. I mean, it's an inherently stressful thing. Mm-hmm. It completely turns people's lives upside down, not necessarily for the better at first. You know, it's extraordinarily difficult from what I understand, although I'm not a parent myself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's, a major, it's a major event. And so I'm sure most parents would say, I mean, if you think of the sleepless nights, most parents could say that having a kid is pretty bad for their health, at mm-hmm. least in the first couple of years. So that, yeah, that's a bit, yeah, as you said, very vague. Mm. Yeah. So uh, more about this law in New York. Um, it's not just doctors who will be able to perform non-surgical abortions. And by that, they mean like, uh, what they call medical abortions, where they give uh, a series of uh, uh, hormonal pills to induce an abort- abortion. So nurse practitioners, physicians, assistants, and midwives can do that. And then after the 12th week, any procedures have to be done in the hospital. And after the 20th week, a doctor has to be present to handle the care of any live birth. Because after the 20th week, there is a chance that the child can be born, you know, alive. Mm -hmm. And another major thing about this New York law is that they removed from the criminal code, like say, for instance, a woman is beaten or assaulted while she's pregnant and she loses the baby. The person who assaulted her cannot be held criminally liable for the death of the baby or the fetus. And this was put in because they don't want the the medical professionals who perform these abortions to be charged with murder. Yeah. And didn't they also take out, because before it was like, once a baby is born, then it has protections under the law. Mm -hmm. Um, It's recognized as a person. If it is killed, then it's murder. But because there is this chance that the abortion will actually be a living uh, baby. Um, they, it was previously illegal for them to then kill it. Mm-hmm. And I think that now, if I'm not mistaken, it's no longer illegal for them to do that. So right. if they give the abortion medication and they, the, the baby comes out and it's still alive, they now have the right to actually kill that baby. Yes. <sighs> So this is basically a law legalizing infanticide. It's hard to look at it any other way. I mean, infanticide has happened throughout history for various reasons. I mean, you could talk about child sacrifice. You can talk about, you know, places like India where male babies are preferred over female babies and female babies are left to die. That doesn't mean that just because it happened throughout history that it is something that should be, we should be doing. Mm-hmm. 
So that's the that's the law for New York, and there's also pending legislation in Virginia. So yeah. people are not happy with this. No, uh, of course. And there have been protests. There was a March for Life protest in Washington not too long ago. That's where that whole MAGA hat incident Covington, happened. yeah. Yeah, they were actually going to the uh, pro-life or anti-abortion rally in Washington, D.C. when all of that happened. So people don't care for it all, at all, but the, the mainstream media doesn't really cover the huge numbers of people that are going to these rallies in protest of abortion. I think it was 100,000 people that showed up for it. Yeah. I mean, that's a big rally. And some media were even reporting it as 1,000 people. <laughs> it's like being off by like 100,000 to 1,000, mm-hmm. a hundredfold difference there. Yeah, you got to wonder. That doesn't sound like very honest reporting to me. That's not a mistake. Yeah. But maybe we should actually, um, because Virginia is even a more extreme case, if you can believe it, and even more extreme case than the New York one. So maybe we could play that clip of, um, uh, what's her name? The one who's proposing the the bill. Is it Tran? Tran, Yeah, her last name's Tran. Yeah. Senator Tran? Congressman Tran? I'm not sure how... American politics works. <laughs> but can we play that, Damien? So how late in the third trimester would you be able to, to do that? You know, I'm, it's very unfortunate that our, the, our physicians, uh, our witnesses, were not able to attend today to speak specifically. No, no I'm talking that. about your bill. How, yeah, how, late, I mean, how late in the third trimester could a, a physician perform an abortion if he indicated it would impair the mental right health of the, the, of the woman? The bill passed. Or physical health. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm talking about bill? the mental health. Yeah. So, I mean, through the third trimester. The third yeah, trimester goes all the way up to 40 weeks. Okay. As far as I know, but to the end of the third trimester. Yet. Yep. I don't think we have yeah, a limit in the bill. Their reaction so, to it. Um, where it's obvious that a woman is about to give birth. She has physical signs of, um, that she is about to give a birth. Would that still be a point at which she could request an abortion if she was so certified? She's dilating. Uh, Mr. Chairman, that would be a, you know, a decision that the doctor, the physician, and the woman would I understand would make that. that. I'm asking point. if your bill allows that. My bill would allow that, yes. Okay, so we couldn't hear that, but I, I think that played. Okay. But anyway, that was so that was basically it, like allowing for right up until the end of the third trimester, which is the same as New York. But actually that one, I don't think um, uh, talked about the possibility of um, after birth abortion. Now we do have another clip actually where it is a um, a another senator from no the governor sorry a governor from uh, Virginia where he's talking about on a radio show about the the possibility of uh, after birth abortion so maybe we should play that one too just so 
since we're on the topic of Virginia right now. There's no exception. There was a very contentious committee hearing yesterday when Fairfax County Delegate Kathy Tran made her case for lifting restrictions on third trimester abortions as well as other restrictions now in place. And she was pressed by a Republican delegate about whether her bill would permit an abortion even as a woman is essentially dilating, ready to give birth. And she answered that it would permit an abortion at that stage of labor. Do you support her measure and, and explain her answer? Yeah, and I'm, you know, I wasn't there, uh, Julie, and I, I certainly can't speak for uh, Delegate Tran, but um, I would tell you one, uh, first thing I would say, this is why decisions such as this should be made by providers, uh, physicians, uh, and uh, the uh, mothers uh, and fathers that, that are involved. Um, there are, you know, when we talk about third trimester uh, abortions, these are done uh, with the consent uh, of obviously the, the mother, with the consent uh, of the physicians, more than one physician, by the way. Um, and it's done in cases where there may be severe deformities, there may be a, a, a fetus that's non-viable. So in this particular example, uh, if a mother is in labor, I can tell you exactly uh, what would happen. Um, the infant would be delivered. Uh, the infant would be kept comfortable. Uh, the infant would be resuscitated if, if that's what the uh, mother and the family desired. And then a discussion would ensue between the physicians and the mother. So, so I think this was really blown out of proportion. Uh, but again, we want the government not to be involved in these types of decisions. We want the decision to be made by uh, the, the mothers and their providers. And, and this is why Julie, that legislators, most of whom are men, by the way, shouldn't be telling a woman what she should and shouldn't be doing with her body. And do you think multiple physicians should have to weigh in as is currently required? She's trying to lift that requirement. Well, I think it's always good to get uh, a second opinion and for, for at least two providers to be involved in that decision because these decisions shouldn't be taken lightly. And, mm -hmm. and so, you know, I, w I would certainly support more than one provider. All right. Let's uh, go back to the phones now uh, for the governor. We're going to talk now with uh, Mike, who's calling. Okay, so that's really something. The baby's delivered, resuscitated if necessary, taken into the next room, and then a conversation would be had with the mother and the, well, the mother and the father, or just the mother, whatever the case may be, um, discussing whether or not they should kill it. Like, jeez. Yeah, and it, and it back again to that whole men shouldn't be telling women what to do with their bodies yeah. argument. Yeah, exactly, yeah. It, it's kind of like it's not um, – it, it's all about the rights of the mother. Mm -hmm. Like nothing else is taken into consideration here. Um, and I, I just think that's a terrible way. I mean, of course, the rights of the mother should be taken into account in, in this kind of discussion. But for that to be the only uh, point on which anything is discussed is just completely stacking the deck mm -hmm. um, towards th this, this kind of action. I wonder if, like in that clip where the people were applauding the bill passing, do they really know what oh, they're cheering? Do they know that they're cheering for infanticide, killing babies? Uh, how can they, I, I don't know. I just don't understand how, how they could not know that. And how is it that as a society we've come to this point? Maybe this is a good time to talk about uh, Planned Parenthood and its evolution. Mm. 
And Planned Parenthood started with Margaret Sanger. She's hailed as a proponent of women's rights and women's reproductive rights, a feminist leader in history. So I always like to try and find out, like these ideologues that come along, these spellbinders, how they can sway people to their point of view and influence an entire country or influence the entire world in some cases. So I just have a little bit about Margaret Sanger's background and how she got started and how Planned Parenthood got started. Um, Margaret Sanger, I think she grew up in upstate New York or somewhere uh, in the Northeast. Uh, she grew up poor. She had an abusive, atheist, alcoholic father, and her mother was frail and sickly and Catholic, and her father was really, really against uh, religion. Um, I guess Margaret Sanger, as she grew up, she you know, had her family influences like everybody else does, and she went to a school. Um, I think she was going to go and try and become a teacher. Um, but she never went to class. She joined some feminist groups. She indulged in promiscuous sex and she ended up dropping out of school. Um, after that, she somehow became a kindergarten teacher, but she hated it. And she tried going to nursing school. She did that for a little while, but she quit. But often uh, she would talk about how she had this you know, nursing, nursing training and that she was a nurse. And I guess she wanted to lend a little bit more credibility to herself. Um, so she, she was kind of floundering around, really didn't have any direction. She ended up marrying for money. Uh, she had three children herself, two boys and a girl. I think later the girl had pneumonia and she died. Um, but from what I could read, she wasn't very involved with her own children. And uh, her husband, Mr. Sanger, at this point, started taking her to political lectures. And she was pretty bored with that. She thought it was all bunk. And she was criticizing all the people who went to these lectures until uh, she came across somebody who was talking about uh, subverting society and being rebellious. And that was the thing that really drew her hmm to her cause. Um, she was all in at that point and she wanted to create some kind of utopia. And this always comes up with these types of people. Um, so she essentially became radicalized. She started hanging out with these atheists, anarchists, communists, Bolsheviks. Um, she started hanging out with this radical feminist and free love proponent named Emma Goldman. And uh, Margaret Sanger herself, you know, she would have her group of friends and she would start giving them lectures. And what she wanted to talk about most of the time was uh, the joys of sex. And her talks were very licentious. And she was talking about being free from sexual mores. And she talked about birth control a lot. And she started writing for these uh, militant magazines. Um, she eventually dumped her husband. She was having affairs. And uh, she was quite the tart 
from what I read. <laughs> um, she was eventually indicted for publishing lewd and indecent articles. She was talking about sex a lot and birth control and how awful marriage was and how people just needed to be free to love anybody they wanted. So she was indicted and she fled the country. I think she went to England to uh, avoid prison. So eventually, uh, she, while she was there, she hooked up with some Malthusian eugenicists. Uh, they followed the works of Thomas Malthus, and Malthus was a guy who was really into, you know, uh, the world is too overpopulated, and it, if there's many more people, the world is not going to survive, and we need to start culling the herd and get rid of certain defectives and uh, the mentally feeble. So yeah, he was a eugenicist and she was really into that whole message that he was uh, giving out. And she thought that since he presented his, his reasoning for eugenics, uh, for eugenicists, uh, that since, since he was more scientific in his argument, that would lend her some more credibility as well. So she eventually came back to the U.S. and she opened a back alley abortion clinic and it was in an immigrant area, but it got shut down after two weeks and she got arrested and she was sent to the workhouse. And when she got out, she founded a birth control league and she had a magazine that went along with it. And she wrote a book called The Pivot of Civilization. And in this book, she called for the elimination of human weeds is what she called them. She wanted people to not uh, perform charitable acts or give to charity. Like if people were in a bad way, they should just be left to it and no one should help anybody. Yes. Uh, she, wanted, she wanted to sterilize genetically inferior races. Uh, that included black people because there's you know lots of chatter around that she was a racist. And in fact, she was, but I think it's even greater than just being a racist. She did speak at like this KKK rally and she said that oh, um, they liked her speech so much that many other similar groups wanted her to come and talk. So what could she be saying to KKK people that they liked a lot? It had to be something about race and you know getting rid of one particular race. So she started getting more popular. The money started coming in. She opened up more clinics in poor minority uh, neighborhoods. Uh, she did create a Negro advisory council to distribute birth control to Southern blacks, but she wanted to make sure that nobody knew that, you know, there was some racist intent behind it. Um, so basically, she just kept getting more money. The organization got bigger. Eventually, uh, the name became Planned Parenthood. And that's where we are right now. What a misnomer on the name, Planned Parenthood. Yeah, yeah. it sounds like it's all about family. And Margaret Sanger was anything. She was not pro-family at all. Well, no. And I mean, I, I don't imagine many people know the history of Planned Parenthood there, that it comes from like a racist eugenicist who basically mm -hmm. wanted to sterilize minorities. Hmm. And anybody that she thought was feeble minded or human you know, needs. unfit, but she was all for the more fit people, you know, having a lot of babies. 
But basically, she wanted to encourage promiscuity. She wanted value-free sex education. And uh, she wanted to uh, undermine parental authority. So if you look at Planned Parenthood, I mean, it pretty much encompasses her vision. Like if you look at Planned Parenthood, uh, sex education in schools, there's all these parents who are like up in arms because it's basically pornographic and they're teaching yeah. children about, you know, sex and kindergarten and different sexual acts and masturbation is just disgusting. Well, it's interesting kind of on that note, how um, last year in New York, uh, their parents are upset after high school uh, brings in Planned Parenthood to teach students about abortion and sex without permission. Mm. Hmm. And um, I have some experience with Planned Parenthood um, in Hawaii. There, it, it's popular, and yes, they do give out condoms. But the one thing that was so disturbing that I found out is that a 14-year-old girl can go to Planned Parenthood and receive contraception, whether that be condoms or the pill or even the shot, the depot shot, without parental consent. Mm -hmm. And hmm. I feel like that is wrong on so many levels. I mean, yes, I mean, this goes into the whole education thing. I think that, you know, children should, it should be talked about. And I think parents need to really deal with that in a lot of ways, but 14, I mean, that you can't That's, even drive. Yeah. That is undermining parental authority. And I remember when I was in elementary school in the fifth grade, we had sex education and we talked about, you know, what is sex? And I remember that we spent a lot of time talking about pregnancy and how the baby developed in the womb. And I wonder if they even teach that anymore. Cause I remember yeah. there was a movie that we watched. I think it was shown on PBS or something called the miracle of life. That might not have been the title, but they actually showed video footage of the child as it developed in the womb. I remember that. Yeah. So I'm wondering now because do these girls know that there's actually a life growing in them or are they just falling for the whole is just a clump of cells lie? Well, back to this case in New York, um, basically, you know, they went after the superintendent and he said he was under the impression that the parents were given the opportunity to opt out. Um, and it sounds like the classes were intentionally kept from the parents. Mm -hmm. hmm. Yeah. Well, so that's where we are. Well, Planned Parenthood, I mean, there was that one article that we had um, called The Abortion Agenda um, on Corey'sDigs.com. Maybe you can pull that one up, Damien. But um, I mean, I'm not going to go uh, too much into it, but um, it kind of really gets into the push for abortion and opening abortion clinics um, like around the world, uh, particularly in like third world countries. Um, it, um, what did it talk about the connection to like the Clinton foundation and all this other like big money um, that's involved in it. And they're getting like, you know, nurses and midwives trained in abortion. And it's just kind of like this, this weird kind of push to export these 
more liberal values around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of does have this weird eugenics kind of side to it, like that they're trying to get it into kind of all the all the brown people countries. That's kind of the way it comes across that they want to like they they want to have these um these countries like fully set up and encouraging abortions and in the in the article they're going into like their own literature and stuff where they're they're kind of bragging about the fact that for every one adoption there's like 82 abortions mm-hmm. what they have worldwide and it's kind of like like to, like why would you value abortion so much more than adoption in those situations like that's that's just one thing that I don't understand like why are they placing more of a value on an abortion than on an adoption. Like in both cases, isn't, isn't it the case where kind of like the, the person who doesn't want the baby isn't going to have the baby, but in the case of adoption, somebody who does want the baby is going to get the baby. Like, doesn't that seem like a better yeah. kind of turn of events there? Like I understand there might be some situations where that's not an option. Okay, fine. Um, so you can't argue across the board that abortion is, or adoption is always a, a, a better option or even an option. It might not be an option in some circumstances, but to be placing more value on an abortion over an adoption just across the board just doesn't make any sense to me. Like, yeah, why is that a better situation? Who yeah. benefits from, I mean, there's a monetary aspect because Planned Parenthood does get funding from the government. And abortions do cost, but in a lot of cases, if you're under a certain uh, income level, it, it can be free or Medicaid might pay for it. Um, I think abortions cost like between $4,000 and $1,200 or something like that. So there's that aspect, but it seems like it's much more than that. Like somebody is going to be benefiting from the fact that there are babies that can be killed. Well, hmm. interestingly, if I remember correctly, Planned Parenthood have been investigated a couple of times for uh, organ harvesting. No? Yeah. So uh, for those who don't know, that basically involves trafficking organs on the black market. Uh, essentially selling body parts um, for various purposes. Um, and that goes on. It's organ harvesting or trafficking is more common in, you know, places like war-torn areas. Um, that goes on a lot there. The, uh, places where there's lots of orphans. India, apparently there's a lot of organ harvesting in India. But yeah, apparently this is what uh, Planned Parenthood have been up to. Uh, yeah, they were caught on tape a couple of times, and as far as I know, there were no sanctions against them. No, nobody was arrested. There was no legal action against them, but there was legal action against the people who filmed them. Yeah. So they were caught on tape actually talking about how, I guess it was the people that were filming them disguised themselves as. Uh, Potential buyers. Potential buyers of these organs. And they were talking to the direct medical director of a certain Planned Parenthood affiliate or 
organization about, you know, if how they could get organs, more organs that were intact, like livers were very popular, hearts. Uh, sometimes they wanted just some muscle tissue and the lady was saying, oh yeah, muscle tissue is easy. You can just, you know, take that off. Well, why don't but we they, actually play the clip? Yeah. yeah, play the clip. Can you, can you play that one, Damien? Federal abortion ban is a law, and laws are up to interpretation. So if I say on day one I do not intend to do this, what ultimately happens doesn't matter. So yesterday was a clinic day. For example, like what did you procure? <laughs> you know, I, I asked her at the beginning of the day what she wanted. Yesterday she went, she's been at, a lot of people want attack hearts these days because they're looking for specific nodes, AB nodes, SNA. I was like, wow, I, I didn't even know. Good for them. Yesterday was the first time she said people wanted lungs. I, uh -huh. um, and then, she, like I said, always as many intact livers as possible. People just want yeah, livers. Yeah, livers. People want lower extremities right, yeah. too, which that's, that's simple. I mean, that's easy. I don't know what they're doing with it. I guess they want muscle. Yeah, a dime a dozen. If you maintain enough of the dialogue to the person that's actually doing the procedures and they understand what the end game is, there are little things, changes they can make yeah. in their technique to increase your... Even though they have a set way that they do it, they're open to changing the reason, The reasonable people, sure. For example, so I had eight case, cases yesterday, and I knew exactly what we needed, and I kind of looked at the list, and I said, all right, this 17-weeker has eight pounds, and this one. So I knew which were the cases that were probably more likely to yield what we needed, uh -huh. and I made my decisions according to that, too. So it's worth having a huddle at the beginning of the day, uh -huh. and that's what I do. That's so disturbing. I just Yeah, quite disturbing. Mentioned about having a huddle at the beginning of the day. That's something that happens in medical facilities a lot where they get together and they talk about, you know, the patients that they have and what needs to be done. And the way she just so flippantly said that they have a huddle to decide which baby parts they're going to harvest is just so cold and so chilling. Yeah. What and I wonder, is this? I also, I like, I wonder what kind of ethical implications there are to them changing their technique depending on what organs that they want to be able to get it's like you know changing the way that they're actually doing the procedure now i mean i don't know enough about it to be able to say one way or the other but i wonder if that does kind of you know bring up some kind of ethical considerations like you got to assume that there's going to be the right way to do it and the wrong way to do it and if you go off and start doing it a little bit wrong because it makes it more likely that this organ will still be intact, I don't know. I don't know if there is a right way or a wrong well, way to yeah. do abortion because how they do it is they have the woman on the table and they put the speculum in to open up the vagina and then they, some other tool they insert into the cervix and they have this seaweed kind of stuff that they insert into the cervix to kind of dilate it, open it up so it's easier to put the tools in or put in the vacuum sucker that will suck mm. out the baby. So depending on the age of the baby, that can be either easier or more difficult. So what this woman's talking about, they can change, you know, how they actually go in with the tools and pull out certain body parts. 
Mm. It's so disgusting. And I doubt that they're telling the client on the table that that is their intention. Mm-hmm. No. No, you know, I by don't. The way, by the way, we're going to, you know, your child is going to be used for, or this aborted fetus is going to be used for medical applications later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I know they, one, well, like they they use them in things like skin creams and stuff like that, don't they? Or is that not true? Yeah, vaccines, skin creams. I think there was some, um, like, they call them penis facials. Oh, yeah. They use, like, uh, the circum, circumscribed, circumcised foreskin from male baby penises. So, yeah, baby body parts are used. Yeah, that's... Uh, I can't even believe that we're talking about this is so really very difficult to talk about. And I'm just really disgusted right now. I think that my just thinking about this, my the thing that gets me about abortion is this. So I've never been pregnant myself, but I've imagined being pregnant and what that would be like. And I'm sure it's different than actually being pregnant. So imagining like a pregnant woman who knows that she's pregnant. She has a life growing inside of her. She talks to the baby. She sings to the baby. She imagines what kind of life the baby will uh, have, whether it'll be a boy or a girl, pick out names, decorate the baby's room, have baby showers. They develop love for the baby before the baby is even born. And to just snuff that life out. Like what kind of woman does that? Who can be so cold as to do that sort of thing? Well, I guess, well, I, mean, I guess maybe it's... there are people who really don't know the extent of what they're doing. I mean, I imagine, I mean, I'm totally imagining because obviously I don't know, but I would say in most situations where, a, a a woman would choose to have an abortion the baby the baby is completely like unwanted and it's looked at as a, an inconvenience or um a burden in some way and i don't imagine there's any kind of connection there that they haven't you know had any kind of like emotional connection i mean maybe it's just like a, a really cold person who doesn't have that kind of capability or maybe they're doing it early enough to like Mm-hmm. Um, th- that they don't kind of form that bond or maybe it's just that, that in whatever situation they're in, that the fear just kind of like takes over and yeah. it's kind of like, they can't, they can't actually see any, any other way out of it. Like I would imagine to be able to go through with that sort of procedure when it would either have to be incredibly cold and unfeeling, or mm-hmm. they would just have to be so overwhelmed and desperate that they would make that kind of decision. Like it can't be for a normal functioning emotional individual. It can't be a a decision that's taken lightly. I can't, at least I can't imagine that it would be. I would think that it would have to be a situation where the person is just so desperate and so um, at the end of the rope that they would do something like that or Mm -hmm. completely cold and clinical and just be like, no, this is an inconvenience. I don't want to, I don't want to deal with this. Or in such a state of denial, they can't even really think about anything more than what they feel that they need to do at that point. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I can speak about it because I've been pregnant twice ah. and both my pregnancies were unplanned and I was young and not married. And it's interesting. And this is just my own personal experience. But again, I grew up in a very liberal environment in California and my mother was pro choice avidly. And, you know, again, it's a woman's right to choose. And if you have an unwanted pregnancy, you can choose that. When I became pregnant, oh, the story changed, right? Mm. She did not, you know, she was like, I'll pay for the abortion. You can, you know, here's the money. And it was, uh, it was a temptation for sure. I was 20 years old. And, uh, you know, we went through the whole discussion and it was emotional. And this topic is very emotional because I never, you know, I went to Planned Parenthood. I didn't get the abortion, obviously. But, you know, it's very kind of nonchalant. I, I, I don't even think that they offered counseling after the fact. And I walked out of there. And of course, you know, if you go to a clinic, there are people outside protesting a lot of the times. And so it becomes morally questionable and very emotional. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had no financial support at all. But for me, I could not go through with that. I just, I felt like it was not something that I could do. And then I got pregnant again, two years later. <laughs> and the same thing happened. And of course, back to that idea of rights versus responsibility. Sure, I could have gone and had the abortion the second time. Well, now I already had a child. And so any woman that has carried a child, like Tiffany was saying, and had that feeling inside of you and maybe has two or three and then they don't want a fourth, it's, I mean, I, I can't even wrap my mind around it again, because I've never gone through the procedure, mm -hmm. but it was so willy nilly kind of like, we'll come back tomorrow and we can do this procedure for you, you can move on with your life. I will say, I know many women that have had abortions and who have emotionally never been the same. Mm. Later in their lives, when they, they're ready, they're married, and they want to have children, they cannot because they have basically been mutilated from the procedure. So it's, it's a slippery slope. And there have been lots of young girls. I know one girl when I was in college, her mother actually forced her to get an abortion. Ugh. And I know that that happens not sad. So it's not the case that all women who have abortions are unfeeling psychopaths. But yeah, it, it's, it's a difficult thing. And I don't think if they outlaw it completely that it will not continue to happen. As doing the reading for this show, if a woman really does not want to have a baby, she can find a way yeah. to abort that baby, whether it's legal or not. I mean, yeah. that's just the bottom line. Yeah. So I don't want to come across as like this heavy pro-life, you know, it's all wrong in all instances. There's always circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that there are always circumstances, yes, that can be a reason to keep abortion legal. But it doesn't mean that we have to go to the other extreme where we are applauding infanticide either. Exactly. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think that's what has happened. Yeah, that's uh, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I have to wonder if um, the origins of Planned Parenthood, it's actually kind of still 
still those same kind of values that are put forward. Like that whole thing you brought up about the 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 kind of the mutilation that can happen when an abortion happens and that they it actually sterilizes some of these women. It's kind of like, well, like I don't know, maybe this is too Alex Jones or something like that, but it it does it honestly like seeing the the organizations and how they're working around the world and everything like that, honestly, like where's my tinfoil hat? Yeah, it's not it's not a completely safe procedure. I yeah, mean, there are certainly risks. There's a risk of death. There's the risk of infection. You know, mm. there's tools and scraping and sucking involved, um, hemorrhaging. I mean, it's not it's not just an in and out easy procedure like getting stitches or something. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too, if you just do kind of a cursory search as I did on the web about the history of this topic, some of the quotes are that, um, you know, pregnancy is far more dangerous than abortion. And and it is true. I mean, you know, it's been said that when you choose to have a baby, it's the closest a woman will ever choose to death because everything can go wrong. You know, you can have, you can die during childbirth. There's all these things. But I think that by saying that, it's kind of like throwing the discussion out the window. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, you know, I I have a safer chance of surviving if I abort this child, especially if I don't want. Mm -hmm. But what are the, it's like, what are the, what are the statistics there actually? Like how likely are you to die in childbirth these days? Yeah. Like, does that still happen often? Like, certainly in, like, Western countries and stuff like that. I can't imagine that that happens very often these days. Well, and with the whole advent of cesarean sections, you know, there is possibility. I mean, I had a friend that had had a baby. at The baby was six months. It, it was, mm. you know, not even full term. It was born three pounds, and it survived, you know. Wow. So there are medical interventions that can help. Mm-hmm. And so, again, I mean, I don't know. I'm with Tiffany. It's a very hotly debated topic. And I just think that if people are out there saying, you know, women's rights, we have a right to choose, they need to do their research and really check in with what they're supporting. Mm -hmm. Because I think it's easy to say that I am this way until you are in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. So do we want to go to the last worst aspect of this? Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. This isn't the only article or uh, journal article that's been written on this topic. There have been others, but this one, I just happened on this because a friend posted it on Facebook and it was written by two Italian philosophers. And I use that in quotes <laughs> and it was called uh, afterbirth abortion. Why should the baby live? And in this article, it was in the, I think it was in the British yeah, medical sure. journal. Yeah. Journal of medical ethics. There are actually making an argument for, 
infanticide, killing the baby after it is born. So this is not, you know, third trimester on the delivery table, decide to kill the baby. This is after the baby is born and viable. Um, so, yeah, it has to be read in its entirety to fully realize the absolute horror of this. But they go through all of these, you know, uh, arguments. Um, they consider a person to mean an individual who is capable of attributing to her own existence some basic value so that if they are deprived of that existence, it is a loss to the person. So they're saying that the baby cannot attribute any value to itself. The only value that is attributed to a baby is given to it by the mother or the parents or you know the, the family. So the baby cannot attribute any kind of aim or any value to its own life because they're not mentally capable of doing so at that point. Thereby, it is okay for them to be killed after birth. Yeah. Honestly, reading this article, I was kind of like, these these guys are, are actually, I think it's a, it's a man and a woman, I think. And I was yeah. like, these people are, are psychopaths. Like, honestly, yeah. the reasoning in this, reading through it, I, I was just kind of like, this is so cold and so twisted. Like, the way that they twist logic yeah. in it to, to kind of get get the the idea that that killing babies is okay and the thing is like they they even say in it it's like we're not the ones who would decide um at what age it's um you know too uh too late to you know have an afterbirth abortion so they're kind of leaving that open but from their definition of like being having kind of uh being able to formulate an aim is what makes you kind of a person like from that perspective it's like well that's probably up until like two years old or something like that. I would think like, I don't know, maybe, maybe they would define it more, more stringently than that. But it kind of, I was kind of like, like, honestly, this is, this is kind of like eugenics and, but it's defining every, everything that isn't able to make an aim is not a person. Therefore you can kill it mm -hmm. is just, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And they go on to say that the interests of the actual people involved, meaning the, the mother or the parents, outweigh any rights that the, the newborn would have. And then, oh God, at the, towards the end of the article, they talk about um, afterbirth abortion versus adoption. And they argue that afterbirth killing of the baby, and they actually use the word killing frequently in this article, they say that it's acceptable over adoption because birth mothers experience grief when they give their babies up because sometimes they might dream that their baby might come back to them. Whereas if you kill the baby, there's no possibility that the baby can ever come back to you. So that makes it more acceptable for you to be able to kill your baby. That's psychotic. Yeah. Yeah. And they said that they don't put any claims forth about the moment at which afterbirth abortion would no longer be permissible. So I think they said something about going a few days after being born, 
But again, they, they don't say that, you know, this is the definite cutoff point. So how long will it be? Can you kill a baby after a week, a month, a year? And it well, will still be okay? What about if your teenager isn't really working out? Can you just yeah. bump them off? What if your, your child is, is, uh, has Down syndrome or can't actually formulate any aims for its own life? Well, based on their logic, um, you would be justified to execute that child hmm. when you, that's essentially what they're pushing for. Their, their logic is reading it there. The way that they're justifying this is they're basically saying like, okay, if you're gonna if you're gonna abort the child, it's no difference if it's in the fetus, like if it's in the mother's womb or if it's out of the mother's womb. Mm-hmm. And whilst I agree with that, I mean I do agree with that logic. I think it makes perfect sense. There's there's not really much difference. Um, but I go the opposite way and say that <laughs> if you're gonna kill, like that's that's murder. That's killing the baby. But what they're saying is is because we because we allowed women to go through abortions, say at 12 weeks, what's the difference between actually doing it when it's outside of the mother's womb? That's, that's, that's where they're coming from. I, I honestly don't know how it's acceptable that these two morally reprehensible individuals are, have a career in academia and are allowed to publish their drivel, their, pure and utter shite if you don't mind me saying it's it's absolutely disgusting that even i mean the british medical journal would even publish this i actually took a look at some of the authors um they're quite young actually the the one author looks really quite young maybe in his 30s the second one is a self-proclaimed feminist um and that doesn't surprise me whatsoever Mm. because looking at the roots of planned parenthood the anti-human ideology the anti-humanness of this whole um, stance is um, quite astonishing to see. Um, but that's generally what these people would like to see. That's the kind of reality that these people would like to see. And they are insane. Mm-hmm. They are absolutely this insane. This is utopia for them, which I do not understand how anybody could think that this would be a nice world to live in where these sorts of things can happen. You know, it's funny, the conservatives always talked about, you know, the slippery slope on abortion or on any issue, really. But they talk about the slippery slope with the in, in regards to abortion. It's like, you know, if you do, you allow it up to this amount of time, then it's going to go further and then it's going to go further and then it's going to go further. And it's like they would get kind of ridiculed for that idea. It's like, well, you know, how can it go any further? But it did. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that you've got New York passing it, third trimester abortions. You've got an academic paper coming out talking about after-birth abortions. Like, honestly, where can like the slope is gone at this point? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I think with these types that have or embrace these types of ideologies, it's like they cannot put any value on anything. Nothing has any value. It's like moral relativism. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that is better than anything else. Nothing that is worse than anything else. 
everything is just level. They can't weight their decisions in one way or the other. Either everything is acceptable or nothing is acceptable. I still can't quite understand how their minds work, but it's just so bizarre to see. And I'm not quite sure that these type of things shouldn't be published because if they are published, then at least you know Mm-hmm. what kind of person you're dealing with and what kind of ideology you're dealing with and you can make a decision for yourself. So to keep that sort of thing in the dark, I don't necessarily think is the best idea, but for God's sakes, please have the discernment to know that it is pure bullshit. Well, the actually kind of um, on a happier note, at the top of that article, they've got a thing where you can click on all the tweets that have gone, like the number of times it's been tweeted. And I scanned through it. There's like 3,000 or close to 3,000 tweets on it. Um, And like I just scanned through some of them and I didn't see a single one that was neutral or positive. Mm -hmm. Everything, every, every tweet was like, what the hell is this? Or like, look at these sick bastards or something like that. It was all just completely trashing it. So, I mean, that's, positive in in some respect i guess that at least it looks like people aren't so far gone out there that they can they can see something pathological when they see it mm-hmm. and maybe it's just a a test to see that doug it could be it could be well let's put this out there and see what kind of response we get if it's 50 50 maybe we could move forward with this idea well, the paper know. was published in what? It was a while ago, wasn't it? I think it was 2013. Okay, so not that long ago. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and then, what is it, six years later, out, out comes New York? Yeah. When's the post-birth, abor- post-birth abortion bill going to come forward? We're looking at you, Virginia. What don't what they do down. is they they slowly feed it into the public eye, don't they? And I think I think to some extent, all all of these developments have they evoke a negative reaction somewhat in the beginning, um, but as generations, especially with the younger generations, like for instance, you're talking about Planned Parenthood, sex education in schools, the moral relativism, you know, people teaching kids that there's nothing that has any really intrinsic value and that everything is subjective and whatnot and all of this kind of stuff. It's like um, this stuff is like drip fed into the public and eventually the more traditional or conservative values are kind of going to be drowned out by the, these, the, 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 essentially it's, it's gradually becoming more and more accepted. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's like any any attention is better than no attention. That's what it kind of seems like. Because even though even though people react and they say this is crazy, they still push forward with it. And yeah. it still manages. It's like, I don't even understand how they keep going with it because no one would accept that where we are now. But in 10 years time, maybe maybe people will accept it. Yeah, I bet it won't even take that long. It's like the concept of the Overton window. It's kind of like where there's like a like they a square. It's like everything within here is what's allowed to be talked about, or you know, which actually gets seriously considered. And it's like what they do is they start pushing that window further and further along, 
So stuff that was previously outside the window suddenly starts to become acceptable. Yeah. And then you push it even further and stuff that was previously, you know, and they just keep on incrementally doing that process until stuff that was so far out like 10 years ago that nobody would even consider is now something that's like kind of within the norm. You know, at first it's maybe like fringe, but then even when it's fringe, it's like that's already acceptable to a certain extent and then it gets further and pretty soon it's like, it's just like mainstream. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's why they target young people because they have no sense of history they haven't had enough life experiences yet to be able to discern what's what is truly bad from what is just oh that's just the way the world is mm -hmm. yeah. yeah so do we have anything else i do have nope. one thing because this is going to continue to be an issue for sure and um for parents that have young children, I think it is their responsibility if they want their children to know to talk about things like sex. As crazy as that sounds. Mm -hmm. Insane. That if you leave that discussion untalked about, Planned Parenthood is going to step in and fill in the gaps for you. Yep. And I mean, I don't know what else to say other than that, that, you know, with the media that children and young teenagers are exposed to it's all about sex and you got to have the discussion it has to it has to be talked about and you know a lot of parents aren't comfortable with that and it has to be talked about repeat repeatedly not just one time and you think that they get it i mean yeah. at a young age you could start with a certain level of talk and then as the child gets older, you have to refine the talk to their level of understanding. Yeah. And I know particularly in the pro-life communities, they really don't want to have that discussion with their children. Mm -hmm. And they definitely don't want schools teaching their children. But you got to push past that. Because they're, that with the age of consent being 14 or 16, depending on which state in the United States you're in, if that child can't feel like they can come to you, then they can go have that service done without your consent. And I know that parents want their children to remain innocent and not be corrupted. But at the same time, you don't want them to be stupid fools that can be easily taken in. Yeah. <clears throat> excuse me that's totally true it's funny because um when we had sex ed when i was a kid grade four um the one girl whose parents actually refused like she wasn't allowed to take sex ed because it was a you know the parents had to give permission for it she was the one who was pregnant once we were in high school mm -hmm. so and it kind of drove home that point that it's like you know you need to educate your kids on this stuff. You really do. Yeah. yeah. And I don't even know if it's really taught in school curriculum anymore. It may be one of those things that gets cut out, but even health class or biology in high school, I mean, <laughs> I don't even know. It, I just, it's so crazy. Mm -hmm. Anything else anyone wants to touch on? I think we've covered it pretty well. Well, 
I just want to say that I'm glad that it's over. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This has probably been the most difficult show that I think that we've done in a while. Uh, So next week we have to do something, something lighter. Let's not talk about euthanasia for our next show. Uh, I'm with Tiffany. I do think though it needs to come out. I think people need to know. I think people need to do more research instead of just hopping on a bandwagon and fighting for something that they may not have any idea of the implications of later on down the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So I guess that is our show for today. We will see you next week with another show. Topic has yet to be determined. So uh, everyone have a good week and do your own research. Knowledge protects. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.